0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for being with us. Always appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Busy, busy time. So many things going on. We'll talk more about these red hot markets today with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Also, we'll have the latest ag equipment sales numbers. Certainly, they'll be impacted by the market rally as well. Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers will be joining us a little bit later on, and the National Pork Producers Council launched a campaign to highlight pork producer commitment to environmental sustainability. We'll talk with Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President of Domestic Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council, about that new campaign. Certainly, ag very much uh, interested in getting their message out to the incoming Biden administration about what it is doing on climate issues because that obviously is going to be a focus for this new administration in fact let's start there as we kick things off with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications Phil thanks for joining us you have been writing about this Uh, the the democratic agenda seems to be focused on climate and taxes those will certainly impact agriculture
2: Oh, absolutely. In both cases, um, I think uh, climate is going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you the number two issue. Number one issue being uh, passing another COVID, uh, COVID relief package. Uh, President-elect Biden is going to talk about that today. Um, but uh, it's very clear right after that comes uh, dealing with policy. And it's a climate policy, and that's going to be done both through Congress and to the extent they can not through administrative actions.
0: I mentioned that ag groups are trying to get their message out. I think they're trying to get out in front of this because they see what's coming, uh, these discussions, and the impact it could have on agriculture, and they just want to make sure that uh, these policymakers understand that the agriculture is already addressing a lot of these issues and want to get credit for what they've already done uh that's
2: true, but what's also happening and has been happening for a while is there is uh, they're getting uh, tremendous pressure from uh the supply chain uh, their customers um and that's walmart that's uh, cargill uh that's uh, all the people down the chain of the textile uh uh companies if uh, if you're cotton cotton grower these companies are making pledges, their consumers, uh, they uh, are putting pressure on them, and they are in turn putting pressure down, uh, um, down the supply chain to, uh, to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And so this has been something that's been in the works. Uh, a number of groups have gotten together, formed an alliance, uh, the National Farmers Union, American Farm Bureau Federation, and some environmental groups and they released some proposals in November. So there's a couple of tracks here. There's both the government, but there's also uh, what uh, corporate uh, corporations are uh, demanding uh, from agriculture.
0: We are hearing that uh, it is expected that the Biden administration will try to change the new Waters of the U.S. rule. Is that what you're hearing as well? Uh, yes. Now that's uh, it's not going to be easy to do.
2: Uh, it's to back up. You know, of course, the Obama administration wrote that lotus rule. It's uh, tied up in the courts in many states. The Trump administration killed that rule, wrote a new one, put that out. That's uh, been uh, that's tied up in court to some extent now. So. You know, what they would probably have to do is they'll have to turn around and repeal that rule and then start and write a new rule, presumably, do what the Trump administration uh, did. And uh, so we could uh, be looking at several years of continued sort of uncertainty as to where this is going to land.
0: Yeah. As you point out, it it took all four years of the Trump administration to get it changed. And even now, it's still challenged in court. So you would expect the same if they try to if the Biden administration tries to reverse it back. Uh, What are you hearing on uh, the approach to trade by the new administration?
2: Well, that's going to be very interesting. That's uh, boy. We're watching that closely. Uh, Now, the president elect has said he's going to leave the tariffs on China for a while So it doesn't look like there's going to be any, uh, anything immediate. Uh, He's, uh, he's going to have, uh, it's going to be a very difficult issue uh, for Biden because uh, he's trying to appeal to the same voters uh, in the Midwest, the Rust Belt and those areas that have been hurt uh, by China. Uh, He's obviously going to have to have an eye on uh, agriculture. Uh, His, uh, USTR-designate uh, 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 Catherine Tai uh, talked to uh, ag groups uh, yesterday, in fact, and, and she's been saying in a number of forums that, um, uh, that China and uh, enforcing USMCA are going to be top priority. So uh, but we'll see. But uh, he's, he's inherited very difficult issues.
0: Speaking of inheriting difficult issues, Michael Regan, the new uh, uh, EPA administrator, will have his share to deal with as well. Certainly on the biofuels front, right, kind of at the top of that list of as far as agriculture is concerned.
2: Yeah, uh, boy, he's getting uh, good reviews from ag groups. Uh, folks in uh, dealt with him in North Carolina uh, really speak highly of him, and uh, he's done quite a bit in terms of uh, trying to reach out to farm groups. Uh, since his nomination was announced. Yeah, he's not going to have to worry too much about uh, refiners, uh, uh, not as much as a Republican uh, EPA administrator. So in one sense, it will be a little easier. He's going to have different issues to deal with. And I tell you what, anything anything you do in relation to the RFS, renewable fuel standard, is likely to be tied up in court, too. So the courts will have a lot to say about uh, what happens.
0: Yep, we'll be watching that one uh, closely, that's for sure. Um, You mentioned uh, the the COVID package, which, you know, the Democrats have talked about trying to get another one passed here right away in the new Congress. It'll be interesting to see, given the higher grain prices now and the amount of money that's already gone to agriculture, where will agriculture be in, in a new package? Are you hearing anything on that?
2: Uh, know. haven't heard much. It would be, uh, boy, it would be hard to see there being not really expecting a whole lot. I mean, there's, there was already $13 billion uh, that was, uh, just enacted in December. Most of it hasn't been, uh, distributed yet. We're expecting some kind of announcement, uh, this afternoon, uh, on some, on at least one of those provisions. But yeah, I, I you know, there's there's one economist uh uh now saying uh, the soybeans could go to twenty dollars a bushel this year. <laughs> it will be a little difficult to make a case for uh, more uh ad hoc assistance, I think.
0: Yeah, probably yeah. will make it the more difficult uh conversation I would imagine on that front. But yeah, there's so much going on and uh we get into this be transition.
2: Happy with the $20. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Rather have it from the market, that's right. All right, Phil, thanks so much. Uh, We'll stay in touch. Okay,
2: all right, Thanks.
0: Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications, a lot going on. Well, the uh, pork industry has launched a new campaign to tell their environmental story. We'll talk about it with the National Pork Producers Council next, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
1: Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry, it's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined now by Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. What can you tell us how the rural health care system is holding up?
3: We're seeing some leveling of increases, at least in the spread of COVID infection. Some of the case rates, a percentage of total testing going down a bit. But in some places, of course, we're still seeing surges uh, with hospitalization rates of 30% or more of total admissions due to COVID. And this is, of course, presenting some real challenges for many rural communities to be able to keep up with that surge in demand. And uh, we're watching that with great interest as we come off of the Christmas holidays now. Hopefully, we won't be seeing a similar increase after the Christmas holiday like we did after Thanksgiving.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
4: What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist, Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org.
2: service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council
0: you're listening to AOA Adams on agriculture hi this is Mike Adams you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world
1: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on agriculture now back to Mike Adams
0: As I mentioned earlier, ag groups are working to get their message to the Biden, incoming and Biden administration about uh, what is being done in agriculture to address climate issues already. Uh, Certainly, the pork industry has a strong message to tell, and they've launched a new campaign to do so. Michael Formica joins us, Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Michael, thanks for joining us. Tell us about this new campaign.
5: Thanks for having me on. Um. So we have launched a new campaign. I think we officially launched it yesterday, called "Farming Today for uh, for Tomorrow." And the the goal and the purpose is pork producers for 50 years or more have really been uh, incredibly progressive and in leading the way in um, in improvements not only to the industry and how we're raising the animals, but there are benefits from all of those improvements with a with a direct focus on the environment and environmental improvement. Um, we've got much reduced uh, water quality issues we've got complete control of our manure uh we we keep adopting and developing new conservation methods for soil conservation purposes we uh we're we're constantly uh reducing our air emission profile and then through all of this there's a you know there's a real co-benefit on the on the climate side where we are we are seeing every year our climate emissions going lower and lower and lower, and overall we're you know we're one third to one fourth of one percent of total us. climate emissions and that you know that's a goal for us um, and those few emissions that are still out there, we're hard at work on trying to capture them and eliminate them as well.
0: I mentioned that uh, the pork industry, like other segments of agriculture wanting to get this message uh, of environmental. Uh, stewardship and responsibility to the biden administration as they come in but you're also wanting to get that message out to the general public aren't you
5: well we've got a good story to tell and we think people need to you know they need to know it and yes we want the biden administration coming in um to to hear about this and and to understand it and we we think we've got um a pretty capable uh partner coming in with michael regan we've had um our pork producers in north carolina They've had a lot of experience working with him he was a secretary there uh he's always had an open door uh he's always been very willing to uh, you know to listen um to learn and to understand what's going on and has some you know has some background and recognition of, of the realities of agriculture and we're hoping he carries that experience uh, and hoping and hopeful that uh you know he's going to carry you know that experience and and style over to epa uh, and so we're, you know, we, we're, we're targeting EPA, we're targeting the Hill um, in, in Washington, D.C., policymakers. But let's face it, all Americans love to eat bacon with their breakfast. They like pork chop. And I, we want them to feel, you know, safe and happy and comfortable eating that and realize that, you know, not only is that delicious protein, but it's really a low carbon uh, choice. It's one of the more environmentally uh, sustainable choices that they can put on their plate.
0: We're talking with Michael Formica with the National Pork Producers Council. Uh, I, you mentioned this. Could you expand upon that a little bit more? What you're hearing from North Carolina and the pork industry there, and its dealings with Michael Regan as he comes now to uh, EPA?
5: Yeah, sure thing. Um, so, Mike Michael Regan became Secretary Regan. I want to say in twenty in twenty January 2017, just about when when Donald Trump uh, was inaugurated, they had a, a, a change in administrations. There was a new Democrat who was elected, and so there was a lot of trepidation within the state. What is this going to mean, uh, especially for eastern North Carolina where, where all the pork production happens? And uh, Regan came in. Um, there were there were some high-profile... Well, we had the lawsuits going on, which uh, your listeners probably are aware of. Uh, there were a series of nuisance uh, uh, lawsuits filed by out-of-state um, ambulance-chasing plaintiffs' attorneys. There, was, um, there were also some um, environmental activists and social justice activists that were out trying to shut down livestock production in the state. And we didn't really know how he was going to respond to those. And what we found was, you know, he listened to everybody. Um, actually, the, 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 the really thing that they liked, was he would go out of his way to go visit farms and visit farmers um to spend spend a lot of time talking to farmers to understand how exactly their operation ran what really was going on what was what were the underlying dynamics here um what was possible to do and what was not possible to do his uh, his family and he's from eastern north carolina as well so he had some you know familiarity with the area his grandfather ray Togs um and at the end of the day, what they came out with was, you know, was a realization that, um, you know, not everything in the world's not perfect, but, you know, farmers were doing what they could do, uh, doing the best that they could do, and actually that there was no great controversy there. There was nothing that justified any additional regulations on them. Um, but for the other side, he also gave them – more opportunities uh, you know, when permits come up for renewal, they would have uh, you know, notice of uh, permit renewals. They'd have uh, extended comment periods, more opportunity to comment and let their voice be heard. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, people are still raising hogs in North Carolina, um, and uh, we and we weren't sure that that was going to be the case uh, initially. And then the other thing that happened is we had we had a, a hurricane. That hit Hurricane Florence, um, you know, biblical amounts of rain. Uh, it was a twenty thousand, thirty thousand-year storm event. Um, much of eastern North Carolina was under um, significant amounts of water for you know for weeks. Uh, it all fell. The yeah, the hurricane just sort of parked itself right right over there, uh, and they had um, we had I, I want to say four, maybe five. Um, hog farms that ran into a problem where the where lagoons breached after being inundated with water for you know for for a long time um and you know there was a lot of press calls uh for you know, to the state that you need to address the problem with livestock agriculture in the state aren't they the ones responsible for all these water quality problems and you know secretary Regan stepped up and and was very clear that no it's not it's not the livestock farms that are causing the problem. You know, we've got all this water. They've had they've had their own struggles because this is a you know once in a once in a lifetime, once in you know a couple of century kind of storm event. But the bigger problem were all of the industrial point sources in the state. That all of these already permitted facilities, the the, the sewage uh, treatment plants. Um, you know, you've got a lot of uh, a a lot of power plants in the area. All of them were continuing to discharge into the water. Um, they were just making direct discharges, and the hog farms weren't doing that. The chicken farms weren't doing that. Their lagoons or hog lagoons may have been underwater, but the you know for the most part, um, mm-hmm. there's 2,000 farms in the state. Those so, you know we had five, four or five actually had breaches. So they're underwater, but the lagoons themselves all you know were all designed they all they were all able to maintain their integrity and we just didn't have we didn't have the we didn't have the issues we were afraid of and he came and he defended the industry and um you know for for that we we can't say enough
0: yeah so he brings an understanding of the of agriculture to the position that's very very important and good to hear uh and finally on this new campaign that you've launched michael you're you have pork producers telling their stories from around the country right we
5: have uh we have pork producers from around the country we have um you know producers in north carolina um telling their story we've got folks in in ohio we have folks in in minnesota um i think are the three that we're highlighting and then there's you know there's a there's a number of others who are all going to be part of this campaign and all of them do you know everyone knows every farm is Producers know every farm is different. The general public doesn't know that. And so part of this is to, you know, that educational piece. Every farm is different. Uh, it depends on, you know, the size of the farm. It depends on where in the country you are, what kind of crops you're growing. Uh, some, some raise crops, some just raise livestock, but they, they're all different, but they all do great things. They're all, you know, very, you know, they, they employ precision agriculture. They're very precise in what they do. Um, they all look to care for their land because they all have a lifetime investment in that land and the hope to pass that land on to, you know, that land and that farm on to future generations.
0: Well, we talk about it all the time. It's important for agriculture to be proactive in telling their story and uh, certainly the pork industry doing that uh, with this campaign. Michael, thanks for being with us, telling us about it. We appreciate it.
5: Thank you. Have a great day. Eat more pork.
0: You too. Take care. My- uh-huh. Eat more pork. Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President, Domestic Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Up next, we talk about uh, this, uh, this market story. What a story it is. Todd Holtman, Lead Analyst for DTN, joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away, more atoms on Agriculture coming right up.
5: Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, Get to fresh air right away from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency.
0: Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting Around the Table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
4: You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grains are a bit mixed this morning. Thursday's session looks like another where traders will mostly attempt to catch their breath, allowing markets to consolidate recent gains before embarking on the next leg. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading two and a fraction higher at 526 and three quarters. The May contract up two cents at 529 and three quarters. March soybeans trading four cents higher at 1410 and Quarter the May contract up four and three quarters at 1408 and a half cent. Chicago wheat march trading a penny and three quarters lower at 658 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat march up a penny and a half cent at 627 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat march up four and three quarters at 633 and a quarter. The May contract up four and three quarters at 641 and a half cent. Livestock futures across the board of trade are lower. Traders are looking for continued market market stability in all livestock trade driven primarily by support in deferred contract months on the board of trade April lean hogs trading 45 cents lower at 7250 the May contract down 65 at 7775 March feeder cattle down 10 cents at 13422 the April contract down 12 at 13662 April live cattle down 27 at 11720 the June contract down 20 cents at 11490 in cash cattle country Southern live deals had ranged yesterday from $108 to $111 per hundredweight. Northern dress deals range from $171 to $173 per hundredweight. Asking prices for cattle left on show lists are around $111 to $112 per hundredweight in the south and $175 plus in the north. Beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall.
6: The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed.
7: My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know
6: It could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information
1: America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Yesterday, we had a couple of market analysts scheduled to be with us. One was late getting to us. One didn't get to us at all because, as I found out and suspected at the time, found out later, they were just on the phone and extremely busy uh, taking all kinds of calls with what's going on with this market rally. And let's talk more about it with another analyst, Todd Haltman, lead analyst for dtn todd i'm sure it's a busy time for you as well lots of interest in what's going on with this market
8: yeah mike uh, you're absolutely right i can understand that busyness and uh, it's changed dramatically uh, just since the last time we talked not that long ago
0: and probably the big question you get how much higher do you think it's going to go and how much should i sell and when should i sell i wish i had more to sell that's got to be a big part of the conversations you're having
8: yeah, it is. And, um, you know, when you get into these markets, and uh, especially the soybean situation where supplies are so extremely tight, and we're just not seeing any sign of uh, rationing yet on the export sales activity. Um, I, I, I never thought I'd say this, but $15 is starting to look conservative uh, on the soybean side. On corn, uh, I get nervous when corn's above $5, and quite frankly, if soybean supplies weren't this tight, I don't see, think we'd see corn this high, even with USDA's uh, more bullish estimates that we saw on Tuesday. Uh, but uh, it, right now, there, there's no stopping corn at the moment either, uh, the way soybeans are helping to prop it all up.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the report Um earlier this week, certainly that gave more fuel to this fire and added even more momentum uh, to what was already a strong soybean market, but as you said, added momentum to corn, even to wheat. Yes, and
8: boy, I, I tell you, the, the, the strange things just keep happening, Mike. Uh, USDA lowered the crop estimate for corn by 325 million bushels. That uh, was more than any of us expected as far as the analyst side goes. That's also the most they've ever lowered it from the November to January uh, time frame on record of, of looking back the past 38 years. And when you look at the state-by-state state breakdown, I did not expect to see the biggest reduction come in the state of Minnesota. That is a state that I described as the Garden of Eden throughout most of the year. And in fact, if you look at the crop progress report, Minnesota ended with an 80% good to excellent crop rating So uh, none of us saw this coming on on the production
0: side. All right, so let's look, speaking of production, let's look at South America. And we're still, you know, we hear about them getting some rains, and uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be a disaster by any means. remains to be seen how good the crop will be. But let's say it's a a good crop. Uh, As that starts coming in, how much does that uh, slow this rally down, or does it?
7: Uh, I, I, I,
8: you know, that's a tough call, but I I think we're going to see a pause in the market. There might be some relief from seeing our export sales uh, finally subside for a bit, but uh, I I don't see a very large correction back uh, from these prices, even with the record estimates that we're looking at for Brazil soybeans and uh, to, to their good fortune. They started out the season dry, but they've really uh, gotten better and more consistent rains over the past month and are still getting those uh, in the forecast this week. So their their soybean forecast is holding up very well at roughly 4.9 billion bushels. That's a huge crop, very close to 5 billion, which uh, is a little bit mind-boggling. Uh, but they, they definitely are uh, the world's largest producer at this point, and it does look like they're going to be good enough shape uh, for a good harvest, Argentina uh, is in drier shape, and uh, that's where we see uh, probably more crop reductions ahead in their estimate, uh, and uh, and perhaps uh, a little more problems for the second corn crop in Brazil and Argentina's corn crop later.
0: Yeah, two different stories there. Brazil looks in better shape than than Argentina, that's for sure. Talking with DT yeah. lead analyst yeah. lead analyst Todd Holtman, Todd. And then the other story that will develop as we get closer to our planting time, and that's dry weather concerns here in the U.S. How big a story do you see that being?
8: Oh, that that I think is going to be a huge story. And of course, unfortunately, you know we're not really uh, close enough to that time period to to say much worthwhile about it now except there is plenty of drought on the map, especially in the northwestern plain and uh, encroaching into Iowa. So uh, having that threat at this time of year, and by the way, the Climate Prediction Center doesn't really expect that to back off between now and the end of March. So that it appears like it's going to be with us uh, as we get closer to planning time. Uh, that, that just adds uh, incredible bullish potential on top of what is already Uh, 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 just kind of a mind-boggling bullish scenario that we have for soybeans already and is becoming one for corn.
0: All right, let's look ahead to what was already going to be an interesting battle for acres and a lot of thought maybe we'd be somewhere close 50-50. With what's going on now, does that tip that scale one way or the other? Uh,
8: I still contend that uh, first of all, I think we're going to see our three-crop total of corn, beans, and wheat come back to $225 which is kind of in line with uh, where we were before we had all the planting fiasco in 2019. So I think that the total acres uh, will return, and of course there's plenty of incentive to get crops planted this year at these prices. Uh, So that may even be up a a million or two acres on the three-crop total. And then uh, you got to give wheat about 45 million acres in this mix, and I think that leaves corn and soybeans at roughly a 90-90 split. And, uh, I, I uh, you know, some people ask, well, could soybeans
7: uh,
8: outpace the corn acres? And, yeah, maybe by a million or so, but still there's a lot of strong arguments for planting corn, even if the price spreads out more in favor of soybeans. It's, uh, it's partially leaning towards soybeans right now, but still uh, there's, there's more factors that come into play than uh, just the price difference, and, and a lot of people need that corn for a lot of different reasons. So I, I think we're still going to see about a 90 million acre each uh, when that planting mix gets uh, found out in 2021.
0: And, of course, weather plays a part in that, too. We've seen in wet years that maybe some corn acres get switched to beans because of the later planting. But if it is a drier winter and into early spring, that kind of goes with what you were saying about bringing all those acres back if if farmers are actually able to get out there and get them planted.
8: Yeah, well, this is a good time to mention that uh, just looking ahead uh, through a bit of a telescope here, if we pencil out that 90-90 split that I mentioned, and we have uh, decent weather and decent uh, crops again. We're probably going to only add about 300 million bushels to the corn ending stocks total and maybe about 200 million bushels to soybeans. So if things go really well, uh, we're, we're kind of back to where we were uh, a couple years ago in terms of price expectations. But as you say, uh, with dry weather being a threat, uh, th- th- there's plenty of bullish potential uh, in that scenario for smaller production.
0: How do you feel? I, I mentioned this earlier. A lot of farmers wishing, even if they sold, at, you know, what was considered a good price now, maybe doesn't look as good now, but it was still a good price. But still wishing maybe they had more to sell. How much? Uh, yeah. How much grain do you think's out there available to sell yet? How much has been kept back?
8: Oh, very good question. And uh, because of Tuesday's report, uh, we did get the number that's still on farms as of December 1. Mm-hmm. And corn, we're looking at 7 million bushels, or excuse me, 7 billion bushels, which is very close uh, to where we were at a year ago. I think the March 1 figures uh, will probably show that uh, drop down quite a bit. In the case of soybeans, we're about 1.3 billion bushels. That's about 200 million bushels less. Uh, than where we were a year ago. Uh, From just anecdotally, what I hear around the country is, yeah, a lot of that uh, soybeans has been sold out of the field, uh, and uh, there's some corn being stored, but um, I think the interesting thing here, and the hard thing to outguess, is when you get into a market like this, where prices are just up day after day the way they've been the past month, uh, there's it, it, it becomes tough to sell because you don't want to give up on that next higher price. And yet you know that uh, these are the best opportunities for cash prices we've seen in six years. So uh, I, I certainly encourage guys to at least, if nothing else, pick a price that makes you happy and get that order in. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, stay, stay very close to uh, making some transactions because who knows what lies ahead tomorrow.
0: Yeah, easy in a market like this to maybe have some sellers' remorse, and wishing you had held on a little longer. But you have to just kind of look at, hey, you got a good price for it, so be happy with that.
8: Yeah, how many years would you be disappointing selling five-dollar corn? I mean, that right. uh, you know, that makes no sense to me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you always want to hang on to the highest, you get the very highest, but we know that can be very risky, and it's it's pretty hard to do. So you have to take those victories along the way, and uh, well, we'll see where all this goes, Todd. It's just fascinating to watch, and uh, we'll stay in touch with you to kind of get your perspective on it. Thank you so much. Very exciting times. Thanks, Mike. All right, take care, Todd Holtman, uh, lead analyst for. DTN as we continue to look at these markets, and we'll do so again tomorrow. We'll have more analysis and also looking at the other side, uh, the impact on input costs, certainly for livestock producers. But we're already starting to hear and see some uh, uh, increases in input costs for grain farmers, too. That kind of goes along with these um, big market rallies like this. We'll be talking about that more tomorrow. Well. Is the result of uh, better markets, meaning farmers are going to spend more on equipment? We're going to talk about that with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. He has the latest ag equipment sales numbers. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture. Coming right up.
9: Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety
3: Administration
9: and the Ad Council.
3: Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612, 800-664-2612. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than
8: ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest,
3: and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
6: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block,
0: Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, Purdue ag economist Michael Langmyer, at the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. We're looking at the December numbers. Perhaps the barometer numbers are up. Yeah, the, the barometer increased to 174 in December.
2: But the real story of this, the index of the current conditions and index of future expectations really moving in, in different directions or there's more divergence between those. And specifically, the index of current conditions reached an all-time high of 202 in December. Where the index of future expectations was relatively flat in December, and so what's going on here obviously is because of the recent increase in prices, people are very optimistic about the outlook for the next year, and certainly with the prices that we've seen uh, even since this, this survey was taken, that there's room for optimism in the next year or so. But they're a little less optimistic when you look out five years, and so and so that's the real story
0: this month. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Each month, we get the latest ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, we've been doing this uh, for several months now. Uh, Finally, we have a a big market rally to to talk about, and I'm sure will impact, uh, if not now, eventually, uh, the sales numbers. These are the numbers from December. Uh, the rally, of course, has gone on since then, but uh, was already being felt at that time. Are we starting to see any reflection in, in your sales numbers yet?
7: Well, as you as you say, first of all, I'm thrilled that we're seeing a nice market rally. I mean, it's uh, it's it's just great to see the prices uh, you know go up in corn, soybeans. It's just it's what farmers deserve. So thrilled to see that happening. As we look at the December numbers for uh, tractors and combine sales, I mean, throughout 2020. I think one word to describe the whole thing is surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised, in that uh, the numbers exceeded expectations throughout the entire year. We finished the year 2020 with the month of December with really some strong numbers across most of the uh, the, the, the tractor segments, very much driven by the under-40 horsepower tractors. Uh, but really saw some strength across all tractors, uh, you know, in, in in the month of December, and that carried on to sort of the whole year being actually uh, above expectations and a, and, a, and quite a bit above where we were this time last year.
0: Yeah, you've talked about it all year. That under forty horsepower market just been tremendous.
7: It has been it's been crazy good. I mean, we're we've sold about thirty five thousand additional units of under. 40 horsepower tractors this year. That's about a 20% growth year over year. And, you know, as, as we say, that's a lot of non-farm use. But hey, I'll take it. Um, it's a lot of non-farm use is a lot of folks that have, you know, maybe historically been used to traveling or spending their money on other things or hunkering down and investing in their, uh, investing in their properties. That's been very good for the ag equipment market. That's been very good for those local dealers that that survive not just on farmers, but also on their on their uh, uh, you know rural cousins as well. So that's that's been very good. But I'll tell you, Mike, it's it's carried over also into that uh, utility tractor market, that forty to hundred plus horsepower market. Where we saw in the month of December, we saw thirty three percent growth, and and for the course of the year, about fourteen percent growth in that particular market. May also include some non farm, probably includes quite a little bit of livestock. It's uh, just a good, good been a good solid market for that for those two particular segments. 100 plus horse fire so, tractors saw some nice growth in uh, December, uh, about 20% increase. Uh, that's leading us to the year, That's about 3% growth. And those are you know your typical row crop row crop tractors. They've uh, been relatively flat, but if you recall in previous months, those markets have been just a little bit soft. So p- pleased with the uh, with the rebrown we saw in December and how that market ended for the year.
0: So the big question now, it, is it pent-up demand that will come out with these higher prices, or after such a long stretch of lower prices, are farmers uh, still cautious about uh, making big purchases? It'll be interesting to see uh, what the numbers will tell us here in the next few months concerning the the bigger equipment, including combines, if we start to see things kind of break loose a little bit on that.
7: Oh, I, I think you, you nailed it there. Uh, in the, you know, you talk about you know, a price rally like we've enjoyed right now. I think probably, you know, may, may shake loose some of those bigger, more considered purchases like large tractors and combines. I mean, you have to feel pretty good about the future of your financial situation to invest half a million dollars in a piece of equipment. And it seems like that, that might be the case to, starting at the, at the first of the year. I mean, December typically is a pretty strong month for tractor and combine sales. Um, and January is typically a pretty slow month. I think it largely has to do with, you know, year-end tax planning and, and things such as that. So, you know, time to tell of, of, of whether this momentum continues. But I think you know psychologically, everyone feels good when they uh when they could sell their crops for a little bit more, sell their livestock for a little bit more so that 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 has to uh, play into the market and you know not to be missed is uh you know the the, the new market we talk a lot about new new sales, but used sales have also used prices have remained remained strong and and used equipment is uh is is pretty hot right now as well so I think in general, you know, as farmers looked at uh, 2020 with some of the support that was given to them, as well as this recent market rally, you know, perhaps it's the time to upgrade the fleet just a little bit. Maybe it's time to take advantage of this new technology. Maybe it's time to uh, take advantage of maybe the special financing other things that help their business operation to make sense and invest in the future uh, of, of, their ag, of their ag operations for years to come.
0: Of course, everything's still a little different with the COVID and the restrictions and the distancing. But what are you hearing from dealers? Are you hearing of uh, at least more interest uh, being expressed uh, by farmers uh, looking into equipment purchases?
7: Well, the the dealer, you know, I think I think the uh, I think there's been a lot of interesting changes happening in the dealer front and the distribution front and the, and ag retail in general. Uh, as we see the you know the restrictions whether it's uh, uh social distance restrictions or just uh, exposure to to uh, new ways of communicating virtual communication i think we're we're just at the tip of the iceberg of how that's going to change we're hearing you know sort of that same cautious optimism from the dealers that we're hearing from the members is that well, we we're gonna take it we love we love having conversations with folks that are upbeat and happy and i think there is certainly you're seeing that uh, in the dealership front where you're seeing you know lots of folks you know interested kicking tires uh, looking and exploring the new technologies exploring their their entire equipment operation so we're hearing that from dealers we're hearing that from manufacturers seems to be pretty positive news uh, out there uh, because sentiment is pretty solid uh, in farm country right now
0: and yeah, it's interesting to hear what Dealers are saying what you're hearing from the manufacturers and all this tied together. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to when we talk a month from now, what the January numbers will tell us. Kurt, thanks a lot. Always good to talk with you. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Goodbye. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Be safe, everyone. Join us again tomorrow, right here on AOA.